Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I understand you had a, a question posed that you thought would be a good topic for today. Yes, it was a great question and it came from a parent who said, could you kind of help us understand as parents, what's the difference in the world of an IEP in high school versus when students go to college? And I have a few thoughts there, but I'm going to kind of kick it to you first. All right. Well, I'm happy to take it first. And because I can kind of guess what you're going to say, I'm going to go a different direction uh, and start with thinking about those students who we don't normally think of traditionally as, as being um, kids will have an opportunity in college. And those are students with intellectual um, disabilities. As you both, as you know, because we both were on the committee that helped put together a program at our institution, um, there are now opportunities for kids of all abilities. So the IEP does not follow the child. Even in our case, even students with intellectual disabilities do not come to college with an IEP. Now, programs across the country um, that are easy to access through Think College, one of our favorite resources, um, those, those universities and colleges across the country that offer these programs, they all do a really nice job of customizing the experience, I think, for students when they come on their campus. But that customization doesn't follow a traditional IEP process. We do a lot of person-centered planning, I know, at UCF. I would say that the, that idea of the person-centered planning is what most institutions, I think, rely on. And everybody offers a markedly different experience in terms of what is available for students with intellectual disabilities on their campus. And again, think college, if you go and just put in your zip code, it will tell you the institutions that have programs in your area. Yeah, and I know, Vicki, you and I are both uh, the professors who really don't try to fail students. Uh, we kind of feel like a student failing our class is us failing to teach them, yet you can't teach a student who doesn't come to class, I think we've learned. You can't teach a student who doesn't turn in their assignments, and you certainly can't call their parents. And I think that's kind of a, a beginning piece I think families have to recognize. You know, I don't know about you, but I've gotten a couple of those calls, you know, but I pay their tuition. Yes, but they're an adult. And so I think that's true whether you have abilities or disabilities. And if your child even comes to college with guardianship or signs away, I know my own son when he went to college signed up that I could see his grades and talk to him. It's still really kind of the mantra of colleges to say, why don't you talk to your, your young adult? Uh, and I think that's the word young adult. So I'm going to go legal on everybody and remind them that the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act provide support pre-birth to age 21 by law, but 21 doesn't mean college. 21 means that K through 12 setting. And so I think sometimes people get confused and say, well, they still have rights under IDA. Once they graduate with that diploma and they wanna enter any kind of vocational, technical college training, the rules are still there. You can't discriminate against people with disabilities. So like at our own university, we have an amazing accessibility office that will provide support true for every college campus, but it doesn't mean that you get to just have somebody come to class with you and do things for you. You have to have the big 
advocate word that we are both on and the student has to be able to do it like we said in our last podcast for themselves mom dad paraprofessional doesn't show up on campus and say here i here is my child i need them to have this certainly the university accessibility center will work with you as parents to help but it's really the young adult who has to advocate have you had any experiences i know i've had a few where people are like uh but i didn't show up and i have a disability i'm like uh, I will accommodate anyone, but your rights kind of stopped in thinking that you can use that as a way to get extra stuff without putting documentation. I, I haven't had a problem with people um, not being res responsive. I, I, in my cases, what I often have is the disability services contacting me to let me know a student has a disability, which is what happens in college. Um, and, and letting me know the supports that they're allowed. Um, but since my classes are pretty universally designed, my, my bigger problem is always getting the accessibility services is actually our office, letting them know, well, it's okay because everybody gets extended time who needs extended time. And I use principles of universal design so it is accessible to the students and they will have options for ways to serve themselves. So then my conversation goes, something like, you know, the students are, are, are usually pretty proactive and I try to assure them that it's going to be okay. And then it is on them later on if they feel like they're not getting the support. I do encourage them to do their own self-check midway. I'll be honest, I don't always remember to say, hey, is this working out? Uh, I do try to encourage them to do that themselves. Well, and I think one of the differences is you have a, you really usually see students when they're in our majors, so they kind of know where they want to go. I, I have the privilege of having taught several times a class of 100 undergrads that were across majors thinking about helping them understand the nature of disability. And, and it's always interesting because, you know, it'll be like the eighth week of class and they're like, hey, I haven't been there, but I have a disability. I'm like, hey, this class is all about helping you understand that, and I'm very flexible, but I can't help you if you haven't been here. I recommend you withdraw, you know, or I, I didn't turn my final in. I'm like, but it's the day after they're due. Uh, so I think there's, there's some of that, especially because of 100. I would say 90% of the students I've seen at all three institutions have been amazing, but it's that 10%, and usually it's something like, well, can I put my mom on the phone with you? And I'm like, well, I would be happy for you to call mom and you and I talk to mom, but I'm not going to talk to mom directly. And I think that's, that's really true in general. And I'll just tell parents a little tip. This one may be one of the crazier tips I've given Becky. Uh, but when I sent my son off to college and he was this elite gymnast, I called disability services. And I said, I know, I know, I know that my son needs to tell you his disability is need. I just have the craziest question for you what's the best major for somebody with a disability to graduate that's also an athlete? And she told me the two majors, and I said, Josh, you get to pick between these two. Uh, and, and he laughed, and he said, good, because he didn't know what he wanted to do anyway. And exactly what you just said, he actually picked major that was very universally designed. There was more project-based, was more, and again, that was his strength. I think if he didn't really like people, it would have been a horrible major. Um, the second choice of, of criminal justice might have been better if he wanted more, you know, writing and reading kinds of material. But I do think that's important to know, if I was factual, what was said, know yourself, 
could then talk to the disabilities office and say, okay, well, this is my strength and I want to be, you know, an engineering student, but I have a math phobia. Probably not a good idea uh, because we do know in the hard sciences, we have amazing colleagues, but UDL is not always the biggest option depending on the major. So I have more thoughts about that IEP there. <laughs> I sure do. I, I actually... I'm going to bring it back to the classroom teacher before the kids get to college yeah. um, and two specific things that I've noticed uh, across the years. One is um, a couple of years ago, I was consulting with a district and I was asked to review a representative sample of their IEPs for kids with uh, significant emotional behavioral issues. And it was a very big district, so it was a lot of IEPs. I was shocked to find that 90% of those IEPs said that their transition plan was, yes, yeah, six months after graduating, they were going to be in college. And yet the percentage, because I calculated it all when I started to see this trend, the percentage of kids who had even passed our state or the state that I was working with passed their proficiency exams was less than 10%. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little, you know, that's not what I was actually looking at these for. So I, it, it wasn't, you know, my place to, to raise red flags other than conversationally with staff that I knew. And, but, but it really did bring, bring to mind that idea of just because the opportunity is there and I know we're very college and career focused. If we're not preparing kids well in whatever way we need to in the K-12 setting, you know, just because they want to go doesn't mean they will, they will be eligible to go. And I think that people lose sight of that. And so I felt bad for the kids who might think that they were authentically going to be going to college and who weren't getting other advice um, I felt I, I was really I was really disheartened to see that big disconnect, Lisa. And I think it's something that we, as just an educational community, need to get back in and, and dig a little deeper in these in these IEPs and make sure that we are preparing kids in a way that that they that they will be able to attend some type of post secondary if they choose to do that. And even for the students with the intellectual disabilities that I mentioned earlier their pathway into a university is different because it's usually a separate initiative or program. And so they're not necessarily expected to get in the same way, but you and I both know that when we interview kids for that program, the first thing we ask them is, what do you want to major in? Mm -hmm. And just like you said, the parents are not allowed to answer. Why do you want to come here? And it can't just be because you want to be at UCF because you always watch night football games. You have to be able to tell us what you want to study and why. And really, there is no reading prerequisite. There's nothing for our program. However, <laughs> you have to be able to discuss and explain why you want to go to college. So there are things that we need to be teaching kids. There are things that we need to promote, you know, independence and, and, and self-advocacy, as we constantly say. But it does start in the K-12 classroom, because if we wait until kids are old enough to go to college, so we teach them those things, then it's really too late. And I'm going to go back to the K-12 setting and kind of piggyback on what you said, but it's also about access. We know the number one barrier for all kids, and especially kids who are poor, 
and kids from diverse backgrounds is college algebra. If I don't even get access to the traditional algebra teacher, and no offense, you and I are pretty smart people, and I do a lot of work in mathematics, but I'm pretty sure I didn't have 36 credits in mathematics like many of our high school teachers do who are teaching the advanced math classes. Those kids who don't get that access point often don't even get out of the community college level because that is a prerequisite. And I think that's the other thing we have to recommend and realize is that kids probably with disabilities need the most support if they're on a traditional college path during those elective times, you know, or those prerequisite times. Those electives, once you get into your major and you want to be a teacher, by golly, you, you've got that skill set. But man, when you got to do history, algebra, biology, and that's also something else to think about. There isn't the, oh, I can go and get my special ed teacher to help me in college. You may have to pay for a tutor. You may have to find free tutoring services at the YMCA. You may have to take advantage of your child's an athlete, the NCAA tutoring that most universities provide. But I think it's those types of things that if, if your child, young adult, doesn't recognize that in the transition from high school to college, once they start down the path of that low GPA at the university level, it does haunt them forever. We work with PhD students and the number one thing I see, and no offense to the guys of the world, but I've only seen it with guys, is even to get a doctorate, you had to have a minimum undergrad of a 3.0 or it could put you on probation. And so thinking about that at a very early stage, you know, if it's not going well that first semester, Maybe your child with a disability is not ready yet. Give them a year, give them a gap year, but don't assume that it takes four years to get a four-year degree. Many students without disabilities take five and six years. And I think that's what we have to realize. The IEP is to build the foundation. College is to launch you into your career, but you have to do that without that formalized. You get supports, but they're just not the same. Well, I think that that sets us up nicely for our next topic in the next episode, Lisa which will be time management. And you're actually the most productive uh, person that I know, literally. So I'll look forward to thinking about that as it relates to K-12 college and really a life skill. All right. Well, we look forward to uh, additional tweets at Access Practical. And uh, we look forward to talking with you on our next podcast.